Welcome to the St. Andrew Sunday Morning Sermon Podcast. No matter who you are, where you've been, what you believe, or whether you even believe at all, you belong here. Beloved, today our reading comes to us from the fourth book of the Torah, Numbers, it is called Numbers. Now, it is likely that one of the most interesting characters and protagonists you'll find in all of Scripture is this guy named Balaam. Balaam, an Aramean prophet, is a legend of sorts. Oh, yeah, and he talks with a donkey, too. So. Now, Balaam's story is found, like I said, in the Old Testament, But both Peter and Jude mention him by name in the New Testament, and he shows up one more time in the book of Revelation. Balaam's entire narrative, which spans chapters 22 through 24 in Numbers, occurs when the Israelites were camped out in Moab near the end of their 40 years of wandering in the desert. And I have to tell you, this guy is an unlikely candidate for leadership in many ways. And he just so happens, by coincidence, to be residing near the path that the Israelites were taking on their road to the Promised Land. Now, talking donkey aside, it should not be lost that God, Yahweh, spoke to Balaam, a non-Israelite, a foreigner, an outsider, as clearly and directly as to Israel's own prophets and priests. This illustrated that a personal relationship between God and a non-Israelite was possible, and it challenged all sorts of assumptions. Balaam is described in similar ways to various Hebrew prophets like Moses. His story in Numbers contains some of the most lavish words of blessing and promise in the entire Torah and is considered a bookend to the liberation story of the Israelites from Egypt. So let us hear now this strange encounter between Balaam, a donkey, and God. Numbers 22, verses 21 through 33 from the New Revised Standard Version of the Bible. So Balaam got up in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the officials of Moab now God's anger was kindled because he was going, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the road as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. So the donkey turned off the road and went into the field, and Balaam struck the donkey to turn it back onto the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a a narrow path between the vineyards with the wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it scraped against the wall and scraped Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck it again. And then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it lay down under Balaam. And Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. And then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and it said to Balaam, 
What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Balaam said to the donkey, because you've made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand. I would kill you right now. But the donkey said to Balaam, am I not your donkey, which you have ridden all your life to this day? Have I been in the habit of treating you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn in his hand and he bowed down, falling on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why? Why have you struck, struck, struck your donkey these three times? I have come out as an adversary because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it had not turned away from me, surely just now, I would have killed you and left it alive. May God add a blessing to the reading of this word.
Have you ever noticed that sometimes the Bible just gets really, really weird? If you read enough of the Bible, eventually you will encounter these strange stories that defy human logic and contradict the natural laws of the universe and controvert our sense of what's right and wrong, subvert our modern assumptions about what's morally acceptable and physically possible and scientifically reasonable logically believable, lots of strange stories, like the one about a talking bush that's on fire but is not consumed, the one about a giant fish that swallows a wayward prophet, there's one about an angry she-bear that mauls a group of teenagers because they're mocking Elisha's baldness, be careful. There's one about the a demon-possessed swine herd that runs over a cliff and into the ocean. Uh, weird stuff, uh, unbelievable stuff, cringeworthy stuff, really. And these aren't even the weirdest ones. Uh, we're going to be looking at some of these stories, but I left off a couple. I left off the one about the Hebrew uh, heroine, uh, her name is Jael, who hammers a tent peg through the temple of Sisera while he's sleeping in his tent. That's kind of weird. It's in, you're not going to find that in your children's Bible, by the way. <laughs> one of my favorites is the one about Ananias, a man who comes to church, the book of Acts, and during the middle of the service, he falls dead, and we learn because he falls dead because he withheld a portion of his offering. <laughs> I'm going to save that one for Stewardship Sunday in the fall. <laughs> There's strange stories in the Bible, like today's story from the book of Numbers about a prophet named Balaam and his legendary talking donkey. It's strange because, of course, we know donkeys don't talk. I mean, donkeys can do a lot of great things, I'm sure, but talking is not one of them. You may know there are two talking animals in all of Scripture. The first we encounter in the very first couple of chapters of Genesis. The serpent in the Garden of Eden, the forbidden fruit-eating, smooth-talking, back-biting, sin-tripping trickster who single-handedly orchestrates the the fall of Adam and Eve from their uh, unsuspecting innocence. And there's another talking animal, and that's this animal, a donkey, in the story you just heard read. But unlike the serpent in the Garden of Eden, this donkey is not a villain, but a hero. I think which is great for donkeys, isn't it? Because, I mean, donkeys get a pretty bad rap most of the time. Donkeys have always been perceived as stupid and stubborn, but actually nothing could be further from the truth. Donkeys are remarkable creatures. We often disparage people sometimes by calling them donkeys, uh, so to speak, right? Uh, People who are foolishly stubborn, we would say, oh, that's just an old mule. Uh, 
a crossbreed of a female horse and a male donkey is a, a mule. Crossbreed a, a male horse and a female donkey, and you get a henny. The donkey is one of the earliest domesticated animals on the planet. They are the original beasts of burden. And the donkey has helped desert peoples uh, survive for centuries. Donkeys have been the cheap, indispensable labor of the poor. But donkeys are sort of the Rodney Dangerfield of the animal kingdom. They don't get much respect. Despite all the scientific evidence which proves that donkeys uh, have a higher learning capacity than horses, they can carry a greater load than a horse of the same size. Donkeys are hardworking, and they work in the hardest climates. They, they require very little eating. They're very patient and gentle, and they're very loyal. They're super curious, and they have a great memory. All these things are pretty cool about it. I mean, these are fun facts about a donkey. But still, you say, they can't talk. Donkeys don't talk. And here we have a story that says one donkey did talk, and that's just absurd. And this is where a lot of people uh, read stories like this one about a talking donkey, and they say, this is the problem with Christianity. It's just so mythological. But maybe the real problem is just an extreme lack of imagination. The Bible isn't trying to prove that a donkey can talk here any more than Moby Dick is trying to give us a lesson on deep sea fishing, right? This is metaphor here. And with metaphor, like we would ask in Moby Dick, what's the white whale trying to tell Captain Ahab that he doesn't know about himself yet? What's the donkey here saying to Balaam that he's just too deaf to hear on his own? If you're not familiar with the story, and I really wasn't much familiar with it before I studied it this week, there is a backstory that might be helpful. Uh, At this point in the story, the Hebrews have been migrating from slavery in Egypt to the promised land, and on their journey, they end up at the plains of Moab, not the one in Utah, but the one east of the Jordan River. And there, the king of Moab spots them and says, I don't want these Hebrews in my backyard. And so he sends some emissaries along with a bunch of money to one of his prophets by the name of Balaam. And the emissaries say to Balaam, "Uh, the king needs you to do him a favor. We have these Hebrews in our backyard. The king wants them out. Uh, We need you to curse them on his behalf. Because the king knows, and it says in scripture, quote, uh, he knows Uh, that whomever you bless is blessed and whomever you curse is cursed. And so apparently Balaam is a professional blesser and curser. And he tells the emissaries that he'll have to sleep on this one and get back to them in the morning. And that night the Lord appears to Balaam, which is weird also, by the way, because Balaam is a pagan prophet. He's not a Hebrew Uh, He has no experience or knowledge or assumed uh, encounter with Yahweh, the Jewish Hebrew God. And yet this God appears to Balaam. And he says to Balaam, don't curse my people. They're blessed. So the next morning, Balaam meets with those emissaries from the king. And he says, I I can't go with you. The Lord forbids me to curse the Hebrews. 
And so right there, the emissaries send a text to the king. And in the text, it just says, Balaam's a no-go. But the king won't take no for an answer. And he sends more emissaries and more money. And Balaam says, I, look, I can't do anything that the Lord doesn't want me to do. Balaam says, you guys stay here. You take off in the morning. And the next morning, of course, Balaam has had this next encounter with God. And in that encounter during the night, God says to Balaam, all right, you can go. But only do what I tell you to do. And so that morning, Balaam saddles up his donkey. And he goes with these emissaries to the king. And that brings us to the part of the story you just heard read, which is now they're traveling on the way back to the king's palace. And there is this angel of the Lord who's holding a sword in his hand. And he's standing in the road. He's blocking their way. And I don't know what kind of gangster angel, you know, shows up in scripture here, but this is a serious problem. It's a threat. And the donkey perceives the threat. He sees this sword-bearing angel. Balaam does not, but the donkey does. And so that loyal donkey turns into a field, and Balaam gets angry, and he beats his donkey. They come next to a place with a wall uh, on either side, and, and there, as they go down this hallway, so to speak, there's this, once again, this heat-packing angel blocking their way. And when the donkey tries to evade the angel, Balaam's foot scrapes against the wall and it really ticks him off. And so Balaam strikes the donkey a second time. And then a third time, again, this savage sword-bearing angel reappears uh, in a place now that the donkey can't get around. And so the donkey just lays down. And Balaam is so furious that he beats that donkey with a staff. And this is when the donkey has had enough. And she finally speaks up and she says, what have I ever done to you to deserve three beatings? The only thing stranger here than a talking donkey is the fact that Balaam actually talks back to a talking donkey. I mean, he doesn't go, wait, wait, what? Did you just speak? He's not freaked out. He just says, you know, if I had a sword, I'd end you right here. And Balaam is so angry because of this disobedient donkey who's embarrassed him in front of these emissaries. But the donkey isn't finished. She looks up to Balaam and says, well, allow me to retort. She says, haven't I always been your faithful donkey? Have I ever behaved this way before? And as Balaam considers the merits of his donkey's argument and concedes that she does have a good point, Right then the light goes on and he sees that sword-bearing angel standing before him and suddenly it all makes sense. All along, Balaam's donkey has been trying to do him a solid. She's trying to save his life from that sword-bearing angel of the Lord. Balaam, as the story continues, he does, he ends up riding his donkey all the way to the king's palace. And there, having already now avoided death at the hands of that savage angel, he, uh, he does what the Lord tells him to do. He defies the king's orders to curse the Hebrews. And instead, he dares to bless them publicly. 
That's all that was necessary. The rest is history. It's a weird story, but it's a wonderful story. This donkey could see what Balaam couldn't see, the danger of this angel of the Lord. The donkey knew what Balaam did not know, that he almost died. But the donkey endures the the beatings of Balaam in order to save the Hebrew people. And by saving the Hebrew people, she saved the world. She suffers Balaam's beatings because somehow she knows that those people need Balaam's blessing. It's weird and wonderful. And I think it's absolutely relevant to our world today. God speaks through voices other than our own other than other human voices. God speaks through non-human voices. God speaks through nature itself. And the story here says that nature is the mouthpiece of God. Balaam's wise donkey teaches us that, that God speaks even through the natural world out there. This is no surprise. We know this intuitively, even experientially. Has nature ever spoken to you in inspiring ways? A walk in the woods, a hike in the mountains, a slow, long day at the beach watching the sun set? Have you ever noticed how these experiences and encounters with nature have a way of slowing us down and opening our eyes and clearing our minds and altering our ways and maybe even saving our life in some way? so that we can return to our worlds and be a blessing. The the ancient Hebrews have always understood the power and the witness of the natural world. One Hebrew songwriter in the book of Psalms, he says, the heavens are telling the glory of God. The firmament proclaims God's handiwork. And day to day pours forth speech and night to night declares knowledge But there is no speech. I mean, there are no words, he says. The voice is not heard that way. Yet their voice goes through all the earth to the ends of the world. Ancient sages of other religious traditions know this as well. The great Persian poet Rumi, he once said, There is a voice that doesn't use words. Listen. Even Jesus knew this when he taught one day that we must stop talking and stop moving and stop doing and stop worrying and just sit, he says, and consider the lilies of the field and consider the birds of the air. Have you ever thought that maybe nature is trying to tell you something, something that can save you from a lot of misery? a lot of suffering, maybe even your own destruction. Perhaps here this weekend as we remember and honor Earth Day, this story about a talking donkey isn't so irrelevant or ridiculous after all. What's the donkey trying to tell us that might save us? As we think about this fragile planet that we are all living on, What are the polar bears trying to tell us? The western pronghorn, the snowshoe hare, and the green sea turtles, and the mountain gorillas, and the poison dart frog. What are they telling us that 
we don't see. As sea levels rise and deserts expand, what are the big horn or the, the big red sage teaching us and, and the Hawaiian sandalwood and the, the wild yam, the ancient redwoods, the great coral reef? What are those trying to tell us that we don't see? What is nature trying to say to us that might save us from destruction? Maybe the question is, will we be like Balaam who tries to beat nature into submission instead of listening to its complaint? Or maybe will we be like Balaam at the end of the story and will we bravely refuse the king's silver and gold and instead bless the world by preserving the earth and preserving ourselves from destruction. Balaam reminds us that we don't always see what is plainly revealed to us, especially those things in our lives that threaten our very lives. That sword-bearing gangster angel in the story is hidden in plain sight, but it took a donkey to see it. In the modern world, you and I are convinced that we can know the world objectively. In fact, we pride ourselves in standing back and measuring and observing and then grabbing our big pen and a clipboard and recording all the data and all the facts and all the evidence of our environment. And we do that as if we're not a part of the environment. Most humans don't live their lives understanding that they are part of the ecosystem. They're not above it. They're not separate from it. We humans assume that our, that our observation of the world doesn't actually influence our perception of the world. And this is one of the greatest fallacies of modern science and of our lives. There is no such thing as objective observation. We mostly see what we want to see or what we expect to see, or what we're told we will see, based largely on what we've seen already in the past. It is hard for humans to see what we've never seen before, to recognize it, or to see what doesn't conform to what we've always seen before. And there's a name for this. It's called confirmation bias. And it says we see what we expect to see. And this is how earlier this week, a black teenager can show up to pick up his siblings from a party and can be shot by a white elderly man simply for knocking while black. If we could go back and look at all the data and all the evidence which suggested on 9-11 that an attack was imminent, we can't. But we overlooked so much in the days leading up to 9-11 because we didn't see what we expected to see. This is how sometimes after a long, hard winter with a record snowfall, there can still be people in the world who point to that and say, well, this is an explanation for why climate change is a hoax. It's confirmation bias. It says that we see what we want to see. But maybe nature is trying to tell us about what we're not seeing. Split an atom, you peer into its nucleus under a, a powerful microscope, what you will find there in that atom 
are protons and and neutrons surrounded by an electron, this basic high school chemistry. For like 4,000 years in human civilization, it was always understood that the atom itself was indivisible, that the atom was the most basic unit of our reality, that you couldn't go deeper than an atom. And then a little over 100 years ago, it was discovered that you can that you can split the atom, the atom, atom means atomos, which means indivisible, and they split it, and they found all this smaller stuff in the atom, particles, otherwise known as quarks. And these quarks are the most basic unit of the universe. They're the building blocks on which all of this is made. And quarks are quirky. They're about as weird as a talking donkey, actually. We can't see quarks. We know they're there, but we can't actually see them with our eyes. We can only see them or observe them with mathematical calculations. And even that can be hard still to find them. Some quarks, when we try to measure them, they actually come in and out of existence. They just disappear and then they reappear for reasons scientists can't explain. Some quarks will disappear from over here and then reappear way over here without ever traveling the distance between them. That's weird. But the weirdest thing about quarks is that some of them disappear the very instant we try to observe them. They seem to know that they're being observed, and so they disappear. And why is this important? Because it proves that at the very foundations of reality, Our observation of reality, presumed to be objective, actually exerts influence on reality, and we can't explain it. And my point here is not only only do we see only what we expect to see, but it turns out that sometimes the very act of our seeing makes it impossible to see, which is why Balaam's donkey turns out to be Balaam's salvation. When you leave this place today, listen. Look around. Nature is trying to tell you something. There's a divine voice speaking to us all the time. It's all around us. It sees what we cannot see and it knows what we do not know, and maybe it knows what we do know, but refuse to see. The takeaways for today, God is speaking to us through nature all the time. Consider the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. There is a voice that doesn't use words. Listen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church or our vision to eradicate social isolation and disconnection by practicing the faithful presence of the incarnate Christ, please visit GoStAndrew.com. See you next week.